Hey guys, Jeff here. Thanks for tuning in to this special episode of the Shazam Cast, Earth's Mightiest Captain Marvel podcast. Ready to talk to you about the Shazam movie that just released nationwide today. I was not one of those lucky souls who got to attend the early screening of this film, so I went to see it at my earliest opportunity, which was a couple hours ago now as I'm recording this. And I'm here hitting the record button to talk through everything uh, that I can think of connected to that movie with you guys. I guess it goes without saying, but just so I'm on the record, there's going to be a lot of spoilers ahead of us, so don't listen any further till you've seen the movie, unless you are comfortable with me ruining a bunch of the plot. It has been a long time coming. I think April 2014 was when we first heard that DC was going to make a Shazam movie, and you know, along the way, there was a lot of twists and turns. We saw you know, the news that uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be starring in it, but then we got word that, nah, he He's, he's going to go and do a Black Adam movie instead. Um, July 2017, we hear that Sandberg is confirmed as the director, and he's working on uh, developing the, the film already. Then we, we get the word that it's coming out two years away, uh, or a little less than two years. I guess it was October 2017, so then they tell us, hey, in early 2019, you're getting this movie. And uh, there's been a lot of reading of headlines and articles, a lot of counting the days going by as this movie got closer and closer. I know for a lot of us, we, uh, I guess we experienced the approach of this movie with a mixed bag of emotions. Uh, excited to see something resembling our beloved Captain Marvel on the big screen, believing that the character and his story would really win the hearts and imaginations of movie-going audiences, but also realizing that it was probably going to be based on the dreck that Jeff Johns had foisted out in the uh, Curse of Shazam storyline that he had attached to the Justice League and the New 52. And so, you know, you're left rooting for uh, a film that you know, <laughs> looks something like the character that you've always loved, but also knowing that the stink of Jeff Johns John's hand and, you know, back then potentially Zack Snyder's hand uh, could be on this character that we care so much about and, you know, just not wanting to see that uh, ruinous creative, and I use that word in quotation marks, uh, but that ruinous creative team uh, take this character even further down the the sewer. And so uh, we're here. We get a chance now to look at it and and see what went right, what went wrong. And so what I'm going to do here is I'm going to walk through the cast and their performances. going to talk about the direction and the cinematography that Sandberg provided. We'll move into the story elements, talk about a few Easter eggs, and I'll give my final verdict there at the end, along with a bit of news for y'all. So let's just jump right in there. Uh, uh, the principal actor in this movie is Zachary Levi. I know that a lot of comic book fans are already in on Zachary Levi because of his work on Chuck. Um, I didn't catch that show, and so I didn't really know what to make of the casting. But having seen the movie now, I really appreciate the work he did. Uh, this Shazam is not my Captain Marvel, right? Hashtag not my Captain. Um, but in terms of playing the character that's put in front of him, uh, Levi's pretty much perfect. Uh, he's pretty much perfect for this version. One thing I appreciate about his performance here is that that he's, you know, he's playing a role that uh, the in, in the wrong hands is going to come off as sort of a sarcastic or a cynical presentation if the actor playing the role doesn't dive in headfirst. If there's any hesitation on his part, if there's any sense that the audience has that this role he's playing is goofy, then uh, things are going to spiral out of control really quickly. And to his credit, Levi really goes for it uh, in the, you know, in the most energetic sense of the word. You, you get the impression that he really enjoyed the work that he had been given to do with this character, whether or not he, uh, you know, is playing a character that, well, I don't want to go back down that rabbit hole again, not my captain, but uh, again, he's playing a, uh, an adult who is inhabited by the consciousness of a 14-year-old boy, uh, and he goes for it with gusto. There's a childlike quality to Levi. I'm not the first one to say that, and I'm sure I'm not the last, but I specifically want to say it's not childish, it's childlike. And he, again, invests it with all of his energy and uh, you know ability, at least as far as I can tell, as a member of the audience. And I appreciate 
appreciate that about him. There's no winking at the audience in any way. He's he's fully committed to the role. Um, the I guess the second lead is Asher Angel, who's cast as Billy Batson, playing the you know the other side of the coin from Shazam. And uh, Asher does a good job. I don't think I've seen him in anything else before. I don't know what roles he's held, but in this one, he um, he handles himself ably. I guess is the best way for me to say it. Truth be told, they don't give him a lot to do. He plays uh, a loner character who has to grow into you know a an affectionate relationship to his adopted family and and through that become someone who takes responsibility for those he cares about most of the movie is spent with him sort of standing at a cool distance and scoffing and again that that's just not a lot for him to do so we don't see a ton of range from Asher in this uh, except for one scene so um Billy goes to find his birth mother who it turns out is living very near to where he is, uh, where Billy is living as a foster child in a, in a group home. And when he meets his mother and realizes that she is far short of the ideal that he had built up in his head, uh, he, you know, Asher has to do some, some emotional work and he has to do a lot of stuff with just facial expression and tone of voice. And again, while it's not going to win any kind of Oscars, it's really the one time that I think we get to see anything like range out of him in this film. And he handles himself quite a uh, if I were going with an MVP ballot for this movie, I would have Zachary Levi number one, and I would have Asher Angel number three, uh, which is is not uh, a criticism. He does a really good job, and I expect big things out of him in the future. Uh, number two on that ballot, though, would be Jack Dylan Grazer. He's a guy that, uh, as someone who loves horror, I already had high expectations for his performance because I saw him in Muschietti's It back in 2017. Or was that 2018? Anyway, part one uh, of Muschietti's update of the It story for the big screen. And he was quite good in that uh, that film, playing this young man who was not entirely dissimilar from what, uh, at least in terms of physical ability, what he's playing in Shazam. He played a sickly child who was sort of hamstrung by his mother, who's overbearing and, and interested in keeping him sick. Uh, in this one, obviously, he's playing a disabled child and uh, one with a ton of heart and some of the best lines in the movie. Uh, it, you know, initially when I started seeing that uh, Grazer was accompanying Asher Angel and Zachary Levi on the promo tour, I thought, well, now that's odd. Is Freddie Freeman really such an important role in this movie that that you know Grazer should go along? And I wondered if it wasn't just sort of a nod to his agent because uh, he already had his star hung in the heavens through his work on Muschietti's It. But having seen the movie now, I really get it. I get that he is the third lead of this movie. And in some ways, uh, again, with no insult to Asher Angel, he uh, he eclipses Asher and delivers a performance that, uh, you know, pretty superb for a kid his age. Uh, I was really impressed with Grazer's performance. Um, he, he does get stuck with some heavy-handed dialogue, uh, but again, in testimony to his acting chops, he even manages to make that heavy-handed dialogue not feel quite so cumbersome. Uh, and you, you know, you want to like that kid, and he really he really manages to bring that home to your heart. Um, I think people are going to, I think people are going to remember this performance quite a while in the canon of superhero movies, uh, particularly for children. Mark Strong plays the the bad guy here, uh, a version of Thaddeus Savannah, which... Yeah, again, hashtag not my Savannah. But to his credit, Mark Strong also goes for this role with Gusto. And and specifically, uh, he, he does a good job playing a loser who has become overpowered. Um, there was some of this in the Venom movie from last year where Eddie Brock is portrayed as a loser. You know, you have the symbiote tell him that a couple times in the uh, the movie itself, the dialogue that, you know, Eddie, you're a loser like me. Um, Savannah is clearly a loser, a loser who taps in into unimaginable power and turns into a grandstanding bully, but also someone who's very willing to be sadistic. And so, uh, you know, again, Mark Mark Strong is not a guy that I have watched a ton from, but he sure does do what we uh, we need him to do in this movie. You you despise him. You want to see him go down. You want to see him get his butt kicked. And uh, that's a testimony to his performance. He delivered on what uh, what what the story called upon him to do. Um, 
there's you know there's there's other cast members who are important to the story, but they're all sort of on a lesser tier after the ones I've just covered. So you have Grace Fulton who plays Mary Bromfield. She's quite good again in, in similar fashion to Asher Angel, only you know more so. She doesn't have a lot to do. She's the you know the driven smart girl who's also taking responsibility for her family as the older sister, and she performs ably with that. There's basically one scene for her where she and Zachary Levi are in a conversation and she handles her side of that conversation quite well. So kudos to her. Um, Faith Herman plays uh, Darla, uh, Darla Dudley, I believe, which I guess is some reference to Uncle Dudley. Um, I think her part is designed to steal the show. She is precocious and sweet and smiley and huggy and all those things. And darned if she doesn't deliver. I mean, everybody's going to come out of this movie, I think, loving her. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a lot of people who who are going to find her performance too sweet. I think they're going to see in her uh, a little girl who's making the best of a tough situation and uh, respond to her performance. So good to, good for her. Uh, the other kids in the movie, uh, I actually don't know their names off the top of my head. Of course, they're playing the other uh, foster siblings from the, uh, from the house that Billy comes to to live in. And I have no complaints about their performance, although theirs didn't quite stand out as much as the ones that I have been talking about. But, you know, in summary, this is a super well-acted movie. No pun intended. Uh, a super well-acted movie for any genre, basically. Um, yeah, it's a it's a superhero movie, and so I realize that the Academy is probably going to take a you know a sidelong look at this film and consider it beneath their dignity. Um, but for what we need for these people to deliver in terms of being an audience and having a story grip us, hey, they do what we need them to do, and uh, they should be commended for that. That is in part because of the direction they received from David Sandberg, and so it's time to talk about the direction here in the movie. Um, Sandberg is a guy that I'm a fan of. Some of you know that I'm a, a big horror movie fan, and I met Sandberg through the horror genre. He did um, a, a short that made its way around social media called Lights Out, and eventually that was adapted into a longer, full-featured film. Uh, I enjoyed Lights Out quite a bit, and uh, you know, kind of had him on my list of directors to pay attention to. He followed that up with a Conjuring Universe film called Annabelle Creation, and the uh, the Conjuring movies are, are a bit of a mixed bag. You know, the the main continuity Conjuring movies tend to be pretty good. The uh, the spinoff series tend to be again hit or miss. And Annabelle Creation was really good, so good that I bought the the movie for my personal collection. That's uh that's a Sandberg film, and you know, you can blame its success and its quality on him. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, I saw Annabelle Creation, which is, you know, the the principal players in that cast are all children. And so when Sandberg was announced as the director, I thought, you know what, we, we have good hopes that he's going to be able to get good performances from the child actors that are part of his cast for Shazam. And man, he really did. The, um, the kids all come across as believable, relatable. None of them look out of place or as if they can't handle the load that uh, is being put on them as actors. And I, again, attribute that to Sandberg's skill as a director. Um, interestingly enough, this movie was much darker than I expected. I know that that has shown up in some reviews, but I had avoided all the reviews because I avoid spoilers like the plague. Uh, I never watched one of the trailers for this movie because I knew I was going to go see it, and I didn't want them giving away any details that I would have rather just encountered for the first time while watching the movie. So the uh, the black magic side of this movie, which I knew would be there, right? The Seven Deadly Sins are part of every, uh, every origin story of this character that I've encountered. Uh, I knew that would be there, but I didn't realize just how gruesome and dark Sandberg would take that material. I don't think it's unjustified. You know, we're talking about the the worst vices present among men, these great eternal enemies of mankind that the uh, the champions of magic stand in opposition to. You would think they would be pretty gruesome baddies, and it turns out they are. Um, but I guess my earlier point and my main point here is just to say that Sandberg really brought his horror sensibilities to this project, and it left me as a as a dad who's got young kids and, you know, wanting to take them to see Shazam, even, even as someone who has trepidation about the character, I kind of, I just, I enjoy taking my kids to see superhero movies because that wasn't something that was on the table for me when I was a kid. And I enjoy having that connection with them. Uh, I want to take them to see this movie and I'm, I'm kind of nervous because some of the stuff that's in here is frightening enough to leave my, my younger children with nightmares, I think. And so, uh, I, I didn't expect that going into this movie, but Sandberg certainly drew on his skills as a as a scare monger uh, to 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 ramp up the horror in this film. Um, 
another another credit to him that I think is really hard for directors to pull off, and it has to happen in term, or excuse me, it has to happen in concert with his actors, and so it's it's sort of this magic formula that has to has to play out and be brought together, and oftentimes just too many moving parts means it it, it can't happen. But Sandberg managed to make me believe that Zachary Levi's character was the same character that Asher Angel was playing, and vice versa. Uh, facial expressions, posture, uh, inflection on certain bits of dialogue, certain words, all of that is sort of the subtle element or recipe for uh, helping you believe that two physically different characters are actually the same one. And I mentioned that I'm a horror movie fan. Uh, The last time I saw this done with such skill was with Mike Flanagan in his adaptation of Haunting of Hill House for Netflix, which blew up uh, when it came out. And I'm, I'm assuming many of you saw that. Um, you had Henry Thomas and Timothy Hutton in that series playing Hugh Crane. And it stood out to me watching that series how the two men and, and Flanagan as the director had done a really good job of making you believe that these were the same the same people, just, you know, separated by age. That is definitely true of Zachary Levi and Asher Angel here. And again, my, you know, my, my hat comes off to Sandberg for making that happen. Also, this movie is visually pretty much perfect. If you've been reading the Shazam cast stuff I've written in the past or listen to these episodes, you know that I'm not a fan of the Zack Snyder DC movies. And one of the reasons I hated them so badly is that Zack only appeared to be able to work in a color palette of shades of gray and like dark blue. Uh, everything in his world looked washed out, rainy, concretey, and uh, I didn't care for it at all because I thought uh, when you're dealing with you know, Superman and Batman. Um, some of that stuff's okay, but this isn't the Watchmen. This isn't a postmodern deconstruction of superhero movies, and Superman needs to be bright and bold, and uh, someone that looks like he's having a good time. And I think with Shazam, uh, we're seeing uh, a good lesson in contrast that demonstrates just how crazy it was that we ever thought Zack Snyder should have been handling these properties and, and directing their visual or storytelling elements. Uh, Sandberg gives us a, a movie that looks like a big budget superhero movie and it doesn't look like we're in Seattle in a constant rainstorm in an urban environment there is uh, there's beautiful scenery Uh, this is in some ways almost a a tourist advertisement for Philadelphia Philadelphia is very much uh, the city that this movie takes place in they don't just reference it they show it multiple times and it's quite beautiful Um, the clarity of the shots the um, the visual effects like when Shazam takes off running at super speed. Uh, just all of it works. He, he just really delivered us uh, a well-crafted movie visually. Um, and it, it doesn't have to all be bright colors and, uh, you know, zip, bang, pow captions. When we're in the Rock of Eternity, it feels like you're in a cave. And when you're looking at the statues of the Seven Deadly Sins, it feels like you're in a cave looking at statues. Um, so it's it's not simplistic unlike the other side of Snyder's simplicity. Um, it, it's just more appropriate to the story, and it also shows a greater uh, range of uh, visual storytelling skills. And again, Sandberg, I think, deserves credit for that. Um, I guess this is as far as I can go without talking about the source material that this story is based on. And as I mentioned already a couple times in this episode, um, Jeff John's Curse of Shazam in the New 52, which is sort of the dominant storytelling paradigm for the Shazam character up until right now because DC, for some crazy reason, gave Johns an ongoing series with this character, although I don't believe it will last much longer. Uh, nonetheless, th- that's the dominant storytelling motif for the character nowadays, and uh, it's hot garbage. The Curse of Shazam is just hot, hot garbage. Um, th- there's no there's no way around it. It's the worst version of this character who dates back to the early 20th century century. And, um, it's a shame. It's a shame that Jeff Johns has been able to take this character and drive it off a cliff in this way. So this movie is working from really objectively terrible material and it can't get away from it. Having said that, and I realize some of you, this is going to drive crazy. Sandberg delivers the best possible adaptation of the terrible Jeff Johns material from the new 52. 
So just to, to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm clear on this, I'm assuming y'all don't need me to repeat the fact that I think the curse of Shazam is a dumpster fire, but it's awful. David Sandberg has managed to kind of take that mess up into his arms and figure out the most appealing presentation of it that's possible. Um, I, I think a lot of you who are so entirely checked out on on this version of the character, there, there's nothing this movie can do to win you over because it's going to be a constant reminder of what Jeff Johns has done to this character that we all love and believe in and continue to pay attention to despite DC's perpetual mismanagement. I, I get that. I understand. I really do understand that. And, and there's a part of me that's there. Uh, you guys, maybe if you've listened to the podcast over the years, um, you know that one of my first interviews was, was with Carl Shinyama. Uh, let's talk Captain Marvel on Twitter for years. Uh, he stepped away from Twitter, still runs a Facebook group that I would commend to you if you're not a member of. It's one of the few good reasons to still be on Facebook. But Carl, I don't think is going to see this movie. He doesn't want to see Captain Marvel warped into this Shazam thing that Jeff Johns has, has twisted the character into. I'm deeply sympathetic to that. Part of my brain is there. Part of my heart is there. But obviously, I went and saw the movie. And the movie was well done enough for me to say uh, what I I just told you that this is the best version of the Johns material and that that's attributable to Sandberg. Sandberg made an appealing story out of uh, base material that was unappealing to the nth degree. Uh, and since we're talking about Sandberg here, I think he gets credit for that. Even if, you know, some of the hardcore Captain Marvel fans out there are still aren't going to be able to see beyond the, uh, the warping of the mythology that, that Jeff Johns put it through. And since we're talking about how Jeff Johns warped uh, the elements of our beloved Captain Marvel, I guess it's time to talk about the story. Uh, for what it's worth, I went to see, again, the earliest showing of this movie. And that is the same, you know, that's the same showing that my local theater uh, gives to every new release. So it's Thursday night at 7 o'clock p.m. Um, that's just the earliest time you can get to see it. Although I do think there was a, a 4 o'clock matinee, but just generally speaking at my local theater, seven o'clock Thursday night is the first time you can see a new release movie. And I went to see Marvel's Captain Marvel uh, on the same, you know, the same showing uh, when that movie released. And I would say that the Shazam showing was at least twice as full as what I saw in the Captain Marvel uh, debut screening. Uh, that There's no subtext there. I wasn't like, I wasn't rooting against Marvel's Captain Marvel. But since Captain Marvel from Marvel went on to make so much money, um, it was just interesting to me to see that there were more people in to see the opening uh, screening of Shazam. I don't know if that pretends anything for what this movie is going to do uh, at the box office, but I'm telling you guys, Sandberg has pulled something off here. And I really believe that adult audiences who like, uh, they like comic book movies, but sort of in a casual sense, like they like comic book movies because they are the best action movies we have right now. I think that audience is going to eat up this presentation of Shazam. And I think there's going to be a lot of money to be made in that. I think word of mouth is going to be very kind to this uh, this movie. I think the concept behind this movie is something that's easily understandable, particularly to adults who saw Big and can, can latch on to the idea of Big. Uh, Tom Hanks is Big as a superhero movie. And I think they're going to be charmed by Zachary Levi and the kids in this movie. And they're going to, they're going to watch it. They're going to tell their friends to go watch it and this will do very well. Now, just to keep my bona fides on the table, I don't think Captain Marvel, or if you're going to call him Shazam, I don't think that should be presented as Tom Hanks is big with a cape, but that's the direction they went. And I think casual audiences who make up most of the movie going public are, are just going to think of this as candy and want to come back a couple times to dip in. So I will not be surprised if this film doesn't make uh, immediately a ton of money because... I think it's very palatable to a to a general movie going audience. And, you know, I've been sort of critical already in my review here, but I'll just tell you guys, this is a really charming story about family and about responsibility and about rising to the to the best life that you can have in your circumstances. In that sense, it's a very uh, positive movie. I think people are going to take this as a, you know, an energetic shot in the arm, a bit of positivity uh, that they have come to expect from Marvel movies. But now we're seeing in DC. And again, I think that's going to be very palatable to the general audience. And uh, yeah, I just want
want to acknowledge that despite all my reservations and criticisms of what, you know, what what forms the girding uh, underneath uh, the visual presentation of this movie, uh, nonetheless, it's charming and the cast is charming. And I think I think people are going to resonate with it. And having said that, I, I mentioned this earlier that that Sandberg clearly brings his horror chops to this film. And I am really surprised by just how dark and just how horrifying this movie uh, this movie turned out to be in particular elements. You have deeply terrifying monsters who are turned loose on people. And by turn loose, I mean like we see them physically attack people. And their features are grotesque and quite terrifying, particularly if you're young. Uh, in some ways, the seven deadly sins make me think of the old Ghostbusters cartoon and some of the monsters we saw come through uh, that franchise, only brought to much more realistic life in this film. And I'm, I'm surprised that, that Sandberg went there. Uh, I'm also surprised at how much foul language is in this movie. Um, how many times I saw like a kid flipping a bird or, you know, doing something shady. Um, there's multiple trips, no joke, to a strip club in this. Now, we don't see the interior, but we, we visit the gentleman's club a couple different times and the kids, you know, come out of that. I'm just surprised at some of these elements. And I do wonder how, I wonder how conscientious parents are going to respond to this movie. Uh, a, a pet peeve of mine is the adult comic book fan who thinks that all comic books should be written for adults. Um, I, I, I'm not. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm I'm reading comic books as an adult, and I'm recording a podcast about comics as an adult. So I don't think adults shouldn't be involved. I don't. I'm not even trying to say that like there shouldn't be comic books that are aimed at adult audiences. I do, however, think that adults who love comics have to remember that generally speaking, uh, we fell in love with them, and and most people, even if you particularly didn't, most people fall in love with comics as kids. And so we don't have to have adult content, adult themes in, you know, every uh, main market comic book that comes out. We we need stuff that's more palatable to children and it doesn't scandalize them or raise issues for them that they're not developmentally prepared for yet. And in some sense, I think this movie does a bit of that. Um, it, it's okay for me as, as a guy who's, you know, been around for a while and understands that those things can be, can be handled with humor rather than the seriousness that they, you know, they deserve in the real world. Um, I just, I just wonder how many moms are going to come to this, you know, this movie that's clearly about kids becoming super powered and, you know, and leave kind of, kind of shocked and, uh, you know, maybe even leave during the, during the screening because their kids are freaked out or they don't want to answer what a gentleman's club is. So I'll just be curious how that is accounted for. I mentioned earlier that this is, is the best possible version of the new 52 material. And I know a bunch of my listeners feel like I do about that, that storyline. And as a result, many of you have made similar choices to what I talked about with Carl Shinyama, where you're just not going to go see this movie. I assume also that there's a number of you who have thought, you know, I'm on the fence. I'm going to wait and hear what the reviews have to say. I'm going to read about the movie, talk to some friends, then I'll decide if I want to go see the movie or not. Um, I think basically the degree to which you enjoy this movie is going to be built on your tolerance for what Jeff Johns has done uh, with this character. If you know, if if you're the kind of person who read The Curse of Shazam and said never again until Jeff Johns is not you know not the one writing these stories, you're probably not going to be able to uh, to find much to enjoy in this movie because it's so clearly based on um, on that material. It, it really is. But if you're someone who says maybe I'm a glutton for punishment, but I'm you know I've got the the new Shazam series on a pull list at my local comic book shop and I'm going to read this stuff just because it's been so long since we've had a, an ongoing Shazam series, uh, you know, and so you kind of hold your nose and read the Jeff John storyline. If if that's who you are, I bet you will come away from this movie uh, uh, feeling like you had a more positive experience than a negative one. Um, you know, if you're someone who can tolerate Jeff Johns and his work on this character like 10%, I'm betting you'll be like 70% in favor of this movie. Because again, Sandberg has managed to wring out the most palatable, not just palatable, but the most enjoyable presentation of what Johns gave us. And if you can kind of, you know, just take this film for what it is, rather than holding it up to uh, Thunderworld or um, some of the stuff Doc Shaner's done with a character 
some of the better stuff, basically Ordway, some of those those kind of creators. Um, then then you're going to enjoy this film. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I'm not trying to pick a fight with people who are who are morally outraged at the idea that anyone would support the stuff that Jeff Johns is doing. I'm just telling you that this movie has enough strength that if you can tolerate the John stuff, you're going to probably enjoy watching this film. So do with that what you want to. Um, I guess that's a pretty good segue for just talking about the positives and negatives with the story of this movie. And I just want to start on the positives. Um, you know, what was most crucial for me in any movie that's connected to Captain Marvel is what they do with Billy Batson. And the first criticism I have of what Jeff Johns has done with the character is what he's done with Billy Batson. Uh, Billy Batson, you know, it's like a moral imperative that that kid be a, a, a young man of golden heart despite the rotten circumstances that life has foisted upon him. It's imperative that he be someone who, as an underdog, is constantly trying to rise above his circumstances and make the best for himself, that he, you know, that he maintains a positive outlook on life, even as someone who's had to deal with extreme difficulty. Batson's perpetual optimism is one of the reasons that subsequent generations continue need to resonate with that character. You know, and Johns turns him into a street punk and makes him a butthole and the kind of kid that you don't want to root for, which is, you know, for the Shazam cast purposes, uh, high treason. So the Billy Batson we get in this movie is not the classic characterization, but thankfully he's also not the new 52 characterization. Uh, Billy has seen in this movie, Billy has seen some hard stuff and he has been on the grind for a long time and he's been moving with purpose to try to, you know, find his parents and hit reset on what he sees as what's gone wrong with his life. And he is, you know, he's he's hardened by that process. But very early on in the movie, we see him acting against his own self-interest. We see him standing up for a kid who's being bullied. We see him sort of pushing back against the hardness of his heart uh, toward the world that he's living in. And again, it, it stands in contrast to the cleric. Uh, excuse me, the, the classic characterization. But thankfully, it also stands in contrast to what Jeff Johns did with the character. And so this isn't this isn't a Billy Batson who is as awful as the new 52 version. And he gets to be a genuinely good guy by the end of the movie. And so he becomes something like the Billy Batson that we want to root for by the time this movie is over. You know, Jeff Johns has said that that was his aim with the character in the comics. But I don't know if he's just such a poor storyteller or what, but he, he's just not able to deliver that. He just he just keeps giving us this kid who's hard to like. Um, that That's not the case with Sandberg's Billy Batson. And it is a positive for the movie. Um, another problem with the source material uh, in the comic books is that it was called the Curse of Shazam. As we've talked about on this podcast, it's certainly not unique to me, but Shazam is the best version of the wish fulfillment fantasy that is at the heart of comic books. Uh, a little kid gets to say a magic word, get taken on a magical journey, and become Superman. It, it's it's just the best, and that's why the character uh, continues to resonate with fans and and continues to resonate with fans despite DC mismanaging it so horribly and neglecting the franchise so terribly. Um, again, Je- Jeff Johns turns that into a curse somehow because, of, you know, that's just how he rolls. Well, in Sandberg's version, the joy of Billy's uh, being granted the powers of Shazam is restored. Now it's uh, it's 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 goofy, right? I mean, like he acts like a, a selfish kid when he first gets the powers, but he's a selfish kid who's delighted with what has happened to him, rather than you know feeling like he was burdened and cursed with this awful responsibility. And so it, it's fun to watch a character that looks like Captain Marvel have fun being a superhero, and uh, I'm just thankful for that in the movie. Now, the the last positive that I highlight, it's not the only thing positive. I've talked about some other good stuff in the movie already, but you know, this is one that stands alone. It's interesting that in this film, the wizard is named Shazam. Clearly, the wizard is named Shazam. Now, 
it, it creates a lot of problems because if you go look at the IMDb page, uh, Zachary Levi's character is named Shazam and the wizard is listed as the wizard Shazam. Uh, this entire effort to stop calling the character Captain Marvel and rename him Shazam has created more problems to, you know, to the to the 10th power, more problems than it ever solved. And it's just made for some really stupid stuff. Like if you're reading the John series, we'll talk about this in a later episode. But if you're reading the John series, the character can't even tell people what his name is. Um, it's just incredibly stupid. And they should have known this because Captain Marvel Jr. was a thing. And those stories existed for a long time. And if anyone cared to read them, they would see this problem and have avoided it. But I, you know, I'm going to climb off my soapbox about that. It, it leaves this, uh, it leaves this movie kind of confused. Uh, at one point, Levi's Shazam tells his siblings to grab the magical staff that the wizard get, granted him and say his name, and they all yell Billy Batson. Uh, he says, "Then, uh, no, 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 say the name I say to turn into this guy." And so I guess we're supposed to call him Shazam, but thankfully the door is left just a little cracked, just a itty bitty bitty bit for us to return to sanity and call this character what he should have been called all along, which is Captain Marvel. If we can get DC to see this, uh, see the box office on this movie as interest in this character, and you know, if they can finally realize that Jeff Johns really doesn't have much to offer uh, this character, there may be some future date where a creator comes along and says, guys, this is nuts. We're just going to have to keep calling him Captain Marvel like so many people know he is. And if we could, you know, if if that if I live to see the future where Jeff Johns is removed and the character is restored to sanity in terms of its naming, I'm going to be so delighted. And again, while I think it's unlikely, uh, this movie does leave the door slightly cracked open for that. Although uh, you've probably read all the articles I have where uh, DC and Warner Brothers and even Sandberg talk about how this character, his name Shazam now. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I hate to see a company follow a stupid decision by doubling down on it. Um, maybe... Maybe somewhere along the lines, they'll realize that they just have dug a worse hole than the one they thought they were fixing. And, and again, I'm thankful this movie kind of leaves that door just slightly ajar. Um, in terms of negatives, and, and this is where, uh, you know, I told you that this movie rises, manages to rise above its source material to a, to a great degree. They're, they're just parts where it can't. It is so trapped by the stupidity of what Jeff Johns did uh, in The Curse of uh, Shazam and the New 52. You know, the, the movie's just, it can't escape. There's no escape vector uh, for that. And so, really, the the central thing that is going to be so charming to the general movie-going audience is a negative for this, this film uh, in the eyes of people who actually understand the character and care about it. Because we, um, what I specifically mean is, we hear the wizard delineate the powers that are coming to Billy Badson as his champion. And he names the wisdom of Solomon as one of the gifts that is coming to Billy as as his champion. And yet the entire movie is about Billy acting like a fool and having to grow into wisdom after some stuff goes wrong and after he is confronted and realizes that this is not a game. So you tell me, listener, uh, how you can have a superpower that is wisdom and yet spend the entire movie uh, looking like a fool. Now, it, again, it's charming. It's fun to watch. Uh, if I didn't love Captain Marvel, I would really love watching this kid figure out how to drive this new Ferrari he's been given. But again, when you have as as a central element of your story that the kid just got the superpower of wisdom and you have him act like a clown, uh, you're, you're telling an inconsistent story. So it it's like if, you know, we find out that he is granted super speed, right? But then we have a we have a prolonged sequence of the movie where he moves like he's stuck in mud. I think most people are going to look at that and go, "I thought this guy had super speed." Well, in this in this film, he gets super wisdom, and it never shows up in the whole movie. And it's just a it's a big plot hole. And I, I assume that casual fans won't care at all, but those who are careful and paying attention are going to wonder what's up with that. Um, I also think it's just a terrible move to make Dr. Savannah a counterfeit Black Adam. I think it lessens the character. Uh, I don't know what their fear is. I don't know if they think that the traditional Savannah is too much like uh, Lex Luthor or 
yeah, I mean, who, how do you how do you stare into the mind of madness and come out and say, oh, this is the rationale? But again, that's what they've done with Savannah here. He just becomes a counterfeit Black Adam. The you know the palette swap uh, for the bad guys of the hero of the show, and he was just much more interesting when he was uh, a character who did not attempt to meet Captain Marvel on the plane of physical strength and supernatural ability, but rather attempted to demonstrate the superiority of science over magic um yeah it's just a better version of an arch an arch enemy and uh it's just a shame that this is what they turned him into i I think probably they thought that they had to have somebody to you know basically engage in fisticuffs with captain marvel to show how powerful he is and and they do that like it works you you see that this guy is a superman level or a wonder woman level um hero but I, i i think you can even do that with just the stuff that Savannah, the scientist, throws at him. Um, and, I mean, there's, you know, a, a significant portion of this movie is Freddie Freeman uh, working through these experiments with Shazam to figure out exactly what his powers are. Uh, you could have accomplished uh, that, that whole thing of like, hey, this is how powerful the guy is through that that experimentation stuff with Freddie. Uh, and so I, I don't blame this on Sandberg uh, in the same way that I don't blame the absence of the, the wisdom of Solomon on Sandberg. I think this is one of those times where the curse of Shazam as the source material is a spider's web that this movie can't climb out of. And I wish they'd have done something different with it. Uh-huh. I'll also tell you, and this may be the hottest take on this podcast. Uh, some of you may push back on this. And if so, I'd love to hear your case because I suspect maybe I'm out of step with sane people on this. But it's you know my podcast and I'm going to give my thoughts on it. Uh, but, but for real, feel free to reach out and push back on this. Um, I love the classic idea of the Marvel family. Uh, I'm all in on Mary Marvel. I'm all in on Captain Marvel Jr. I even like Uncle Dudley. Uh, you know, the... <laughs> like the counterfeit Billy Batsons or the, you know, whatever you want to call those three guys who also share the name, Hoppy. Yeah, bring all of that on. I don't think I really care for the Shazam family. I feel like with six of them who live in the same house, who have, you know, similar visual profiles and similar power sets, although it does look like the Shazam family sort of embodies more specifically each individual, you know, particularly one of the powers that Shazam has access to, uh, having them all together all the time just kind of dilutes the enjoyment of Captain of Shazam for me. Um, it, it's too much, I guess is what I'm saying. If 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 you've got them all there all the time, you're kind of left going, yeah, this is this is just visually busy. And, and it's kind of busy in the story as well. And none of them differentiate. And so you're kind of left thinking like, I thought this was about Shazam. I guess it turns out to be about a bunch of Shazams. What I think it does, some of you will get this reference. I think it turns Shazam into the power pack. Uh, that's a Marvel property from back in the day. And I enjoyed digging through, you know, quarter bins, finding power pack novels in used bookstores, excuse me, power pack issues in used bookstores when I was a kid. But I don't want Shazam and the Shazam family to become the power pack. Um, I don't like it in the ongoing series, and I don't really care for it here in the movie. Although it's certainly, you know, pretty cool to uh, to see the Shazam family counterbalance over and against the, uh, the, the deadly sins, I would still rather see the family come together and support Captain Marvel, Mary, uh, Freddy, uh, in ways that aren't just, we all get a costume, we all get powers, and none of us can say our name. I kind of think that's dumb, and I'm not I'm not into it. So maybe you'll come away from the movie and the comic books going like, no, no, man, that's the, that's the logical outflow of what they did with Freddy and Mary all those years. Uh, I'm not quite with you, but I would love to hear you make the case because I'm willing to be persuaded. Um, what else here, guys? Oh, yeah. Uh, I just want to talk about Easter eggs because there's there's quite a few in here. And I'm assuming that, you know, a lot of the elements like Fawcett High School, they're, they're not going to land as Easter eggs for people who are listening to the Shazam cast because you're familiar with the character. You see what's going on. Um, you know, you're not going to be blown away when you find out that the foster dad is named Cece. Um, so, uh, you know, again, the naming convention has created so many more problems for this character uh, by switching him to 
being named Shazam didn't have solved. And this movie fully owns that and really plays with it. And I thought I was going to be frustrated by that. So there's, um, I think in the first episode of John's new Shazam series, at one point, the, the Shazam Power Pack family is talking about what they're going to name themselves. And I think Billy says, how about Captain Marvel before he's cut off? Well, it's stupid there. Uh, it's aggravating because it's a wink and a nod to all the, the people like myself and like many of you who are listening who realize it's incredibly stupid that this character is not named Captain Marvel. It's sort of uh, it's kind of rubbing their noses in it. But here in in the movie, they do it in a much more charming fashion. And so there's this YouTube uh, channel where Freddy's uploading all these uh, videos of, of Marvel. <laughs> there I go again. Shazam uh, learned his power set and he's just assigning random names to try to find one that sticks and uh, it's again it's pretty charming it's pretty humorous but I noticed that one of the names that comes up is Red Cyclone in fact one of the characters mentions like oh yeah Red Cyclone uh, referencing the cyborg uh, who's connected with the Justice League I thought that was pretty cool. And when they're quickly scrolling through the YouTube channel, I know for sure that I saw one of the names listed uh, for the character on the YouTube videos as Captain Thunder, which I thought was a pretty cool Easter egg. And, uh, you, you know, if, you, if you're listening to this and didn't catch that, you'll want to pay attention the next time you see it. Um, I also appreciated that with Billy Batson, they managed to stick a lot of holy molies in there, which, uh, you know, considering the characterization of, of Billy Batson in this, that seems a little out of place but I just appreciate that they stuck it in there. And I know a friend of the podcast, Jeff Farham, is going to be pleased with that when he sees this, if he sees this. So I was glad to hear the holy molies come through. I'm also glad that Billy was always wearing red shirts and red you know, hoodies and stuff like that. I thought that was a good, uh, good connection to the more classic and superior version of this character. Um, as I've already mentioned on this very episode, but you, you also know if you listen to me for very long, I, I'm not a fan of Zack Snyder. I don't care at all for what he did with the characters when he was helming the DC Extended Universe. I think he is the reason that the movies failed to gain traction and that people rejected them so roundly. And I thought it was interesting in this film that at one point in the you know the 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 final battle between Shazam and Savannah, we see a kid in an apartment and he's got a Batman figure and a Superman figure and he's making them fight like he's banging them into each other and uh, in a way that to me seems like it's reminiscent of Dawn of Justice. I think is what that train wreck was called. Um, so yeah, you've got Batman fighting Superman, and none of neither one of them says Martha, but that's the only thing missing basically from the comparison. And as the kid's doing that, he looks up and sees Shazam in the sky, and he drops Batman and Superman. And I just see that as a visual representation of dropping this stupidity uh, of what's been done with Batman and Superman in these previous stories. Now again, that, that's probably my Snyder anti Snyder bias coming through too much, but man, it's a it's a pretty powerful metaphor if it's not intentional. And another thing I noticed is that when Sabana is chasing Shazam through a shopping center, at one point they spill out into a toy store. And uh, as Shazam is trying to run away from Savannah, he grabs a, a, a not a life size, but like a tall Batman figurine, and he throws him at Savannah. And he says, "Kill him, Batman!" And uh, again, in my brain, I'm thinking about Snyder's Batman, who's willing to take up a huge gun and shoot people. And uh, I, I'm assuming again that this is all a rational anti-Snyder bias that's bleeding through into these details. But nonetheless, I guess that's going to be my head cannon. And uh, I really do hope that the DC universe drops what's Snyder did with Batman and Superman. I hope they drop the idea that Batman's going to kill anybody and that they sort of follow the lead that has been set, I guess, initially by Wonder Woman, but then reinforced with Aquaman and now this Shazam movie, which may be the best of the three. Uh, if you're not already a diehard Captain Marvel fan, uh, I hope they, they, they really do drop the Snyder presentation and move with what these other films have given us. Um, I think that's the only, that's the last Easter egg I wanted to bring up for you guys. I'd uh, love to hear any that you found particularly compelling or cool as you watch through, uh, watch through the movie as well. So hit me up on Twitter at the Shazam cast, um, all, all the various ways that you can find me. Um, I guess really what's left for me to do at this point is just to give you a summary of the film as my um, conclusion to this review. And here's what I'm going to say about Shazam uh, on this solo review episode. This is a well-done movie. 
even if one that is surprisingly sprinkled with uh, material that is more aimed at adults and more palatable to adults. Uh, A well-done movie surprisingly sprinkled with more adult stuff uh, that, that represents the very best of what we have seen in terms of DC superhero movies after Nolan. And it is a film that manages to rise above the source material it's based on, even if it doesn't entirely escape it. And so, again, this is a really well done movie. I think it's going to do really well at the box office. I think Warner Brothers is going to be very happy about the return on investment here. I wouldn't be surprised if Shazam, in combination with Aquaman, represents a new direction for the DC Extended Universe. Um, So, again, really good movie that rises above the terrible source material. Material, even if it never manages to truly escape it. There's just a note of sadness on this, though, because watching what Sandberg was able to do with the material he was working with, what he was able to get out of uh, out of like his casting choices and how he directed them, I'm just left feeling like I, I could have seen an even better version of this movie. Uh, I like this one better than I thought I would. I think movie-going audiences are really going to like this movie. I'm just left looking back on it in reflection and saying, it could have been so much better. It could have been better if they had just left Jeff Johns on the scrap heap, went back and drawing from The Power of Hope or Ordway's Run or, you know, Thunderworld. Like, uh, just off the top of my head, I can give them six or seven different sets of source material that would have been even more compelling. And I want to go live in the timeline where that better version of this, you know, you know, honestly, it's a good movie. I want to go live in the timeline where that even better version was made. And so this movie is in some ways a pleasant surprise for me, but it's also uh, a source of sadness because I realize that as good as this thing is, uh, we should have had an even better version. And so that's that's kind of my summary uh, of the film there, guys. I'd love to hear your own thoughts. Again, you can get at me multiple different ways, the shazamcast at gmail.com. We're on Facebook as well. Uh, You can reach me through the contact tab on shazamcast.com. Just, yeah, let me know what you thought about the film, what you think about my review? What do you think I got right? What do you think I got wrong? I'm, I'm just happy to have all those conversations with you. That's one of the joys of doing this this podcast. Um, I'm going to title this episode uh, Shazam Review, uh, you know, first take, because I'm planning to come back and do a second review that will, um, that, that hopefully will do some different stuff than this one did. So again, I've mentioned a couple times, uh, some of you know, I'm really into horror movies and I have a horror movie review podcast called Saw Something Scary. My co-host there is a lifelong friend of mine, and he's also a comic book guy. Um, you know, more Batman, loves the Nolan films like I do, um, but he, he's a comic book guy. And he was like, man, we need to talk about this Shazam movie because uh, if we review it together, you can be the hardcore, uh, knowledgeable Captain Marvel guy, and I can be the more general audience member, and we can kind of figure out uh, the best way to think about this movie together. It sounded like a wonderful idea to me. And so I'm going to bring him on the first chance we have to, uh, to to do that very thing. We're going to talk about this movie the way that we would go through our review process on Saw Something Scary. And hopefully between him and I, we're going to represent a, a pretty fully orbed version of uh, of a review of this Shazam movie that we've all been uh, awaiting for, for so long. So stay tuned. We're hoping to get that in the can the next couple of days, and I will release that as soon as we do. Um, otherwise, guys, that's, that's me kind of emptying my bag right after watching Shazam for the first time, and I appreciate you being along with me for the ride on this. Uh, just to say it one last time, I would really love to hear your feedback. Really welcome uh, any pushback even you have on uh, on what I've said here. I want to know what you thought about the movie? Uh, you know, if you're a hardcore Captain Marvel fan, could you could you see any merit in this film, or did you just avoid it entirely? Uh, maybe maybe the New Fifty Two stuff is what brought you to the character. If so, I'm really sorry, and I'm just telling you, there's better things ahead of you if you'll dig into the archives of the character. Maybe you think I've been too harsh towards Jeff Johns and his storytelling. Uh, I'm I'm happy to hear somebody tell me that. So please get at me. Let me know. Let's continue the conversation. That be, with that being said, I'm going to bring this phase of the conversation to an end so I can get it published and out to you guys and hopefully it will in some ways aid your enjoyment of, uh, of watching this movie or not watching this movie so as I go to do that let me tell you thanks again for listening thanks again for tuning in we will talk to you next time on the Shazam cast Earth's mightiest Captain Marvel podcast <laughs>